Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 151. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, Mute, Cute and Loot. But first, talking of Mute, earlier this week I guested at the London Excel user group. I was delivering a session on cube functions. So I logged into the Zoom meeting 20 minutes before the start time. I could see them, they could see me, they could hear me, but I couldn't hear them. I checked the Zoom settings. The speaker was set to external headphones, which is what I always have it set to. The volume was set correctly. I clicked the test speaker button, but heard nothing. I checked the headphones were working by playing a video from the BBC news page, and they were fine. I restarted my VM. Well, after last week's issues caused by the corrupt VM, that could well have been the cause. But no, I still couldn't hear them. Time was running out. I was going live in 10 minutes. And in a scene reminiscent of a Friday night at Matt Bice headquarters, bad words were being said. I was in the studio and after exhausting all the options, finally went back into the office and asked you what could be caught in the problem. After remoting into my machine and having a probe around, checking the system preference sound settings, checking the loopback settings, nothing immediate sprang to your mind either. And as time was almost up, you suggested that I deliver the session from my Mac in the office, which I duly did with no audio problems at all. So, after the session was over, when we had time to think, it was time to troubleshoot. And I'll let you take up the story from here. Oh, troubleshooting is always an adventure. I started with the physical checks. First thing, headphones. But obviously, the odds were it wasn't something physical because you could hear other things. So having ruled out the headphones, the speakers, check the cables, check the on-off switches. So sometimes there's a physical on-off switch on the device itself or on the cable. Check all of those. Then I moved on to the sound preferences panel, which has sound effects, output and input. Obviously, because it was you actually hearing them, it was the output where my focus was, but there was nothing wrong there. And I'd pretty much ascertained that before you decamped into the office. Then there's settings for audio in Zoom. So there's Zoom specific settings in the preferences. And then there's more advanced stuff that's available online in your Zoom account. I always find it really weird that you've got preferences in the Zoom client, but there's more preferences in your account online in a browser. But check the whole lot and there was nothing wrong there. Then I moved on to Loopback. It's Rogue Amoeba's Loopback, and it, it's an application that makes virtual audio devices. And for our podcasting and course creation, we have a slew of those. So they all needed checking. Didn't find anything I wasn't expecting inside Loopback. So with that finished, I moved on to Audio Hijack. Now, Audio Hijack is a fabulous app, again from Rogue Amoeba. It's more complicated in terms of setup, but again, I checked everything. I was the one who designed these setups and there was nothing amiss, which meant there was one more rogue amoeba app to check. And that's SoundSource. Now, it's a quirky niche app that enables you to reroute your audio, boost your audio and more. It usually lives in the menu bar. I have mine hidden though. Uh, but you know what I'm like with menu bars. Don't like you to see anything there at all, to be honest. But I do have it available on a shortcut key. And for consistency's sake, 
I distinctly remember instructing you to use the same shortcut keys. So I got that up and checked that. And a quick check in there, we had the culprit. Somehow the audio output of the Zoom application had become set to the Zoom virtual audio device. Now, the Zoom virtual audio device was created in loopback and it was created specifically for recording sound from Zoom isolated from all the other audio sources. So you ended up with a clean recording. Now, the output of Zoom being set to the Zoom virtual audio device, that was never intended to happen. So what that meant was it was bypassing the speakers and any other kind of output device, which instantly explained why you were hearing nothing. So that was why you couldn't hear anything. So a quick switch of the output from the Zoom virtual audio device to the speaker output and all was well. But going forward, this is a prime candidate for a checklist. If you've never read the checklist manifesto, you should. It's a great introduction as to the power of checklists. Obviously, the precise issue causing the problem this time might not be the same as next time. But having that checklist will ensure that you run through all the possible causes, in our case of an audio issue, in a logical order, in a time of stress. So all's well that ends well then. Well, there were no audio problems at Apple Park this week as Apple live streamed their Unleashed event. You know what my first thought was? With all their money, why does Apple Park look like a rewilding project? Do you know, I couldn't agree more. I was thinking about our garden. You were as well, weren't you? I was. Our garden couldn't care less. But, oh boy, do we hear about it. So, it's now pristine. It's so good we could actually take pictures, couldn't we, and not be ashamed. Um, so, with it being pristine, we can take the moral high ground and suggest that Timmy gets the mower out. Maybe that's why he started with something rather strange. Maybe he was contemplating the mower himself. But I thought it was a strange decision to open the show with the announcement of a bargain bucket music subscription. I never actually bought into Apple Music, haven't even activated the free trial. In my view, for what it's worth, it's aimed at a younger and trendier audience than me. At least that's the impression I got when it was first announced by Dr Beats. <laughs> I think you mean Dr Dre. Oh yeah, whoever. <laughs> Beats is the headphone, dear. Although having yeah. said that, there is a track, isn't there, Dr Beat? Isn't it a Gloria Estefan track? Not that I'd know, I've no obviously. Idea. I've no idea. <laughs> no, no, no. That was because that would be the late the late 80s, early 90s. And guess what I was doing? Reading a book. Reading a book at university. Um, but saw it on Strictly. What was I doing watching Strictly? I've no idea. But I'm sure there's a song, Dr. Beat or Dr. Beat, one or the other. Um, oh, yeah, it was badly explained as well, which didn't help matters. I think they've never opened an event like that before. We've had, well, actually, yeah, it could have been worse. Now I've come to think about it. <laughs> it could have, been, could have been the dreaded dock price. It could have been store openings or it could have been games, games demos. demos. <laughs> but I, I just don't think they ever have opened an event like that. So going straight into it, for a start, they said, didn't they? It's about two things. It's about music and it's about the Mac. And I know if those are the two things you're talking about, you're going to talk about music first. but. It felt like there was not enough of an intro and he just went straight into it. 
And I think, well, I was watching it with a, well, I've got more questions than answers. And I think everyone else was as well um, that was in our chat room. It was just badly explained. I think the best thing in terms of the explanation was what they said at the end when they put the slide up and you could see that this was at the lower end and that the other subscriptions had more features. But they didn't. They should have put that up at the beginning because there were questions in the chat about how it differed from existing subs. What was the impact going to be on Apple One? But I think ultimately what they were trying to do, wasn't it Apple taking aim at Amazon's individual device subscription? It's to snare you in, give you a cheap subscription <laughs> just with a few features and snare you in. And then when you like it, they'll up the price. Well, that's a possibility. But given that they'd left, well, they implied this. I'm not sure if this is accurate. See what I did there, by the way. Very clever. I've just thought of it. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> they implied, didn't they, that it was voice controlled and that was the that was the name of it. So when you say snare you in and get you hooked, um, less so if Siri's in charge of the playlists. Now, to be honest, they specifically mentioned three playlists. The first one, and we were rolling on the floor in the chat, dinner party music. Now, come on, you've just said <laughs> you're too old and it's not aimed at you. But I don't know many 17 year olds having dinner parties. We did. So <laughs> I thought that did. Did you? Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. When, when, when this was pre you, obviously. Well, obviously. But um, when, when, when our friend's parents were away, we had a dinner party. With with very overcooked fatty meat. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, but you, you can't say this is for the young and trendy and then mention dinner party music. They followed that with a relaxation playlist. Now, I as I pointed out to you later, relaxation's a personal thing. If I said to you a relaxation playlist, what kind of stuff would you think was on it? For me, um, quiet guitar, quiet piano, um, a bit of Adele, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I'm trying to relax, I put meatloaf on. <laughs> so it's very personal. I'm not leaving it to Siri. Not that I don't trust Siri, but, you know. And then the third playlist they mentioned, and, and this was where, you know, Shark jumped. A hiking playlist. <clears throat> That'll come in handy here, won't it? Do they mean the hike up the stairs? Because that's about as far as I'm going, hiking. That's the one. And what music would, would scream I, I should be added to a hiking playlist to you? <sighs> apart, obviously, from 500 Miles by the Proclaimers. But apart from that, or is it just that? <laughs> I don't know. On constant replay? Nothing comes to mind, I must admit. No, nothing for me either. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. So was it a no to that one? Oh, it was, it was a no to that. A yeah. most definite no to that one. Well, you made a point, actually, didn't you? You actually asked the question. You said to me, why do we have Spotify and not Apple Music? I think that's just historical, really, isn't it? Well, Spotify were out there way before Apple Music. I took a subscription, um, but there was no such thing as a family subscription at that point, And you said you weren't that bothered. Then a family thing came in and I said, well, in effect, you'd be getting exactly the same as I'd got. I think it was about £8.99 at the time for £14.99. So we took this family thing. Way later, I noticed they'd done a very clever thing, which Apple haven't done, which was they'd brought in what they called a duo plan. So it went from £14.99 a month down to, I think it was either 11 99 or 12 99 But 
you know, it, it was a couple of pound a month, but it made a difference overall to about £25 a year. So it was worth doing. So I think even if Apple Music, even if we were signing up today and we're making a distinction between the two, I think it would actually be far cheaper to go the Spotify route. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of music that seems to be on Spotify that isn't actually on Apple Music. Although Apple Music's got that young and trendy feel, hasn't it? Just going to say exactly that. It's, it's the young and trendy end. Which Having said that, didn't they just buy a classical music streaming service? No idea. And they were supposed to be like rolling it in. So maybe they're going to make big changes down the line. We'll have to see, but at the moment it's a no to that. Don't care how cheap it is, it's still a no. Next up was multicoloured HomePods. And when they showed them, you know what they looked like to me? They looked like upside down table lights. Oh, are these table lights from your dinner party? They're the ones, exactly. <laughs> Again, I, I did think that was a bit strange. The original HomePod, I could understand. It was quality audio, obviously at quite a price. And a cheaper alternative might make sense, but not at the expense of the high end option. Um, there aren't these things that they brought out. They're not enough to tempt me to move away from the Amazon Echo world because they're a single model. I know there's different colours, but they are ultimately still a single model. Whereas if you think about the Echo, the Echo has different models for different circumstances. So there's the Echo Dot for the cost conscious. And that's less than half the price of a HomePod Mini. But there's also bigger Echo models with more powerful speakers, if music's critical to you. There's Echo devices with screens, which we have in the kitchen and we have in the bedroom and the office. So you could watch the news before you've even got your head off the pillow if you wanted to. The screens do have value beyond the consumption of video content. There's video calls with the less technically minded. There's also this new 15 inch household control version now. So as far as I'm concerned, the Amazon Echo platform is just more flexible. So again, it's a no from me on this one. And it's a no from me on this one too. Yeah, it's just more important to me that everything is integrated rather than adding a single HomePod to play with. Because when I install an Echo, it, it's not, I don't think of it as an individual device. Obviously, do you remember on the, one in the, the one in the kitchen broke? <clears throat> I don't know what we did with that, but the screen went funny. So once we couldn't see the screen anymore, I was installing a new one, but I didn't think of it as installing one single Echo device in the kitchen. It was a case of adding a node to the network we already had to access all of the automations that we already had. So I think with a HomePod, what I have to do with it is like replace every Echo we've got. But even if I did that, it wouldn't be equal in terms of the functionality it can give me, because there's, they're all the same. They're all these tiny little devices. If I wanted something with a screen, it would have to be an iPad. So no, it's a definite no on that one. What else was the mic? Uh, have we got a yes yet? We haven't. Uh, and we haven't got a yes for this upcoming one either, which was... Oh, that's a spoiler, Mike, but go on. <laughs> it was AirPods. They talked about spatial awareness uh, and, and I'm like, is that just for music? Because yes, I do listen to music, um, but I mainly listen to podcasts and audiobooks and football commentary. And I'm thinking, will it make it sound like I'm actually at the match? Yes, they'll have a Siri-sourced bad words playlist. Yes, that was for the first half. There'll be a good words playlist for the second half. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should 
announce when we're recording this, shouldn't we? Yes. Mike said, it's all right, we can record it during the match. And I said, no, you're watching the match. So when it got to half time, I just got the daggers because they were losing 2-0. Might as well have recorded the show, Mr Grumpy. So I said, look, it's not over yet. You know they only play the last 20 minutes. They'll win 3-2 was what I said. And what happened, Mike? They won 3-2. Good words were said. Thank you. Just call me Mystic Meg. Oh, did they bring out an apple-powered crystal ball by any chance? (laughs) Though I clearly don't need it. Uh, So, um, yes, never mind the details of the new AirPod. Um, I didn't get further than them stealing the MacBytes waves for the announcement video. And this isn't the first time. They've got a history here. Siri opened WWDC a few years back with a range of jokes. I wonder where they got that idea from. So I think I'll be sending them a bill for the artwork. Am I buying? No, I have AirPods too. I was actually expecting a new version of the AirPods Pro. If that had have been there, I might have contemplated it. But no, it's another no from me, I'm afraid. And you've already heard it's another no from me. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoiler from Mike <laughs> before he even started. Well, luckily for us, because so far, yeah, yawn first. Then the show moved up a gear. The long awaited MacBook Pro updates. We already knew from the opening Making Music in a Garage that all they told us over the last few years was complete rot. Lies, lies and more lies. What? Well, they took the MagSafe away. We didn't need it, apparently. Then they took away the majority of the ports. According to Apple, we didn't need those either. Then there was the touch bar. They took away the physical escape key. Yes, Apple told us we didn't need that either. And with these models, they're back. There were cries of joy in the chat room, so plainly Apple got it right this time. But that only serves to show how wrong they've been for the last few years. The touch bar, however, was the victim. Introduced in 2016, I deliberately stayed away from it. Because unless it was on every keyboard I used on a Mac, if I learnt to rely on it, I'd miss it where it wasn't available. Unless they added it to other models down the line, and especially to the external keyboard too, then as far as I was concerned, there really was no point. So what I expected and feared on day one, back in 2016, is exactly what has now happened. It was never anything more than a gimmick to Apple. But the annoying part is for those that love the touch bar, they and the workflows that they're used to are just going to be abandoned. You've got really no choice, either learn to live without it or buy old kit to keep it. But even then, it'll keep you going for a certain length of time, but certainly not forever. I do recall saying back in 2016 that Apple hadn't been brave enough, that I'd have welcomed a virtual keyboard with haptic feedback. Others wouldn't, but there again, if there were an option and not a mandate, then we'd all be happy. The thing that got me was no apology for clearly getting the ports and the MagSafe thing so badly wrong. Clearly not man enough, Timmy. But we know this, don't we? We do. Because he's not man enough to come on MacBytes either. This is true. But here be an invitation to you. Man up and come on MacBytes and explain yourself. Oh, there's a double jeopardy for the man. 
There's a challenge. Yes, even the Glazers apologised, didn't they? They, they? they said they got it wrong over the Super League fiasco. And Timmy didn't even say anything like, we've taken your feedback on board and, um, you know... We've listened to you. Yes, it could have been done, couldn't it, with words that, that didn't necessarily scream, I was wrong. I think an acknowledgement that they'd listened to people would have been appreciated. As for the touch bar, I've never used it. And what you've never used, you don't miss. That's my thoughts anyway. But I can understand those who relied on it must be a little bit peeved. The new MacBooks are pretty powerful, but are they aimed at the average mobile user or somebody making a blockbuster movie? Because in the demos, they were showing, um, I was going to say games demos then, but no, 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 not games demos, developers uh, and, and also blockbuster movies and, and video editing. And I'm just thinking, who, who are they actually aimed at, these new MacBooks? They're probably aimed at pros. They certainly, with the software that they demonstrated, demonstrated all the pro-end, high-end stuff. Pros don't don't mind if it costs that much. I mean, obviously, they'd rather it was less expensive, but they're not overly concerned if it is that expensive, if it's going to make the difference between being able to do the job and not do the job. But that made me question the event. You put on an event like this, and it is a consumer event, isn't it? It's not aimed solely at pros. And I also think with Apple, there's that the cachet of having the best model. So even if you're not a high end user, I can understand people that think, well, I'm going to go for the best model that I can afford because they want it to last a long time. There is a disruption to anybody's workflow if you've got to switch from machine to machine. So I think there are people who probably aren't pros in terms of your definition of a pro who would want to buy this anyway. I mean, who doesn't want to finish a job faster? It's not just the pros that want it done faster. Anybody would want it done faster. So I'd say probably pros, but will it be pros dashing in the stores and buying them? Probably not. We noticed on the night as we were all specking things up that the date was being pushed further and further out, wasn't it? So they were definitely selling. But we haven't mentioned the number one concern of you and I yet. Have we? The Notch. Doubtless, soon to be known as Notchgate. Initial impression from me, I am not a fan. What were you thinking? What was I thinking? Oh, was what was Timmy thinking? What was Timmy thinking? Well, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, this is going to look great in screen recordings, not... That was my first thought as well. But then maybe we're an edge case. Having said that, you know, there was one thing that I didn't mention that I probably should at this point if I'm complaining about the notch. It could have been worse. The bezel could have been white and there could have been a notch. <laughs> at least there's only the notch to worry about. I don't like anything that is potentially intrusive when I'm working or creating content. So I don't want anything included in a video that I've produced that the viewer finds distracting. Now, think about doing a demo and then someone asking about a specific icon they can see. That happens to me all the time if I'm showing something like that. So when I set up for a live session, be it an after hours on a Friday night or live training or 
a video that I'm creating, I will completely get rid of everything on the screen that is not relevant to what I'm showing. That traditionally has included the top menu bar on the right with the time and all the rest of it, which was why I appreciated, you know, going back as far as lion, leopard, snow leopard, all of those, where you could turn off everything in that corner. Because you don't want the time and date showing because it shows it has been out of date. You don't want the time showing in particular in case you, you cut out five minutes of the video and the time jumps. So what I did with that was just turn everything off. And I would do that in a live session. You can't do that anymore. Um, I, could, I, could, I could end up with two icons. Two's the minimum I could have. What I've done for years, if it's a video, is actually cover that up with a graphic when I'm in the final edit. But the notch, really, really, it, it, it defies words, the notch, because I could be recording something. And you know this because I'm sure you've had males exactly the same. Really appreciated the work you put in on that video, but I'm not going to watch it because you're on a Mac and I'm on Windows. It's Affinity Publisher. They're identical. Not the menus. They look different. They've got the same items in them. Yes, but they're a different colour. <laughs> You're like, really? So can you imagine a notch? If you take your app full screen, you can't tell the difference between Mac and Windows with the Affinity apps. But if you've got this dirty, great big notch in the middle. Now, one thing you could do, and I did mention that to you and we both then shook our heads. If you put an external monitor on it, uh, we're assuming that the secondary and third monitor wouldn't have the notch on it. But then if you need to record in retina so you can get a 4K screen recording, uh, that monitor is going to cost you an arm and a leg. Plus the fact then you're back to being tethered to a desk to actually record it. And it's not just things like the menu bar or an almighty notch on the screen. If I do an impromptu demo, so I click on something and that opens something else. I guarantee you I'll get 17 questions about the something else rather than what they've actually initially asked, the initial question. It, it's like eye candy, isn't it, when something comes up? Because if I'm using it, even if I'm not deliberately demonstrating, it must have some value. And they don't know what it does. And then that's the first question on their mind. Well, oh, just a minute. What does that do? Because what you're about to show me, I actually know what that does, but I don't know what the other thing does. And now now that's more important to me. Or is or does this only happen to me, Mike? No, it happens to me. It's like when um, Air Server first came out and, you know, it was like, how do you get your iPad on the screen? You know, now it's it's, it's second nature. You know, well, it's team... easier, isn't it, for a start? We had one application and some incantations to try and make it work. But now it's actually built in. So you could plug it in. You could have it via your USB. You could airplay to it. You can even just open QuickTime and there's your iPad. But yes, I agree with you. Back in the day, I was doing a, a course on iBooks Author. And as soon as, obviously, you know, to, to read an iBook at the time, there was only on an iPad. So the first thing I did before I shown them how I was going to make this iBook was show them the, the, the finished iBook on an iPad. And this particular demonstration, there, there was two people in, in there and they just, whoa, 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 please stop, please stop. Tell me how, you can, how I can see the iPad on the screen. They had no idea how to do it, but they had a need to do it. So I did literally have to stop and explain what it was. And, you know, oh, this is it. It's never what I'm showing. It's what they can see on the screen that's distracting to them. 
I mean, it might be distracting in a good way, but it's something that they don't know about and they ask you about it and you inform them and then they know about it and they're happy with that. You know, it might be, well, to be honest, 99% of the time, it's totally irrelevant, unrelated to what I'm actually showing. But they're happier at the end in relation to what I was originally supposed to be showing them because I've given them this extra little piece of information about something entirely different. This is similar to that in terms of it's going to be disruptive. What's that black thing on my screen? I've got this black thing on my screen and I can't get rid of it. They'll think it's them or something. So there's that aspect of it, but there's no value to that. Me explaining what it is, they're not suddenly going to say, right, I'm going to go out and buy one. So I've got a notch as well. <laughs> the notch is going to be a nightmare. They, uh, guess what? Can I, can I do a spoiler? Yeah, the notch. No, not, not happening. Not buying. There's a notch. <laughs> Uh, but you've had that at work, haven't you? All the time. I was doing an Excel course yesterday for some finance people from Canada and they were having an IT learning day. So after I'd finished, they all trooped off to a different Zoom room for some Teams training with a different trainer. And one of them asked the other trainer about Zoomit, that tool that I used to draw on the screen, similar to Demo Pro. And the other trainer just then pinged me on Teams because he couldn't remember the name of it. So it's like... Yeah, you're here to learn Teams, you're here to learn Excel, but they're more interested in that tool for drawing on the screen. With something like that, I can understand it. And I've had the same question. I've had questions about how I draw on the screen. And I've also had questions about how I zoom a, a specific part of the screen. So I don't zoom the screen in because that's disorienting for a start. And it, do, it doesn't cope well with the broadcast software. But zooming a particular part of the screen with a magnifying glass, yeah, that's fine. And those are the two things that I get asked questions about. Now, you're saying that was in uh, a Teams session. Was it Teams they were learning about? Uh, with the other trainer, it was actually, yeah. Well, they were probably thinking that their team presentations would look more professional if they had the tools on hand that you have. Mm. And I always say with the tools if the tools for zooming and annotating and anything else are inside the platform you're using, so if they're Zoom tools, then they only work in Zoom. And if you then suddenly have to switch and you're presenting with Teams, you don't have access to those tools. You have access to the Teams tools. And that's why I like independent third-party tools. It's what I call platform-independent presenting. I don't care what I'm in. Do you remember that one I was doing? And, and the, the person organising it sent me a link to the room. So I'm sitting in the room from like 15 minutes before and there's not a soul there. And it gets to two minutes to. And he is in another room in a right panic. He'd sent me the wrong URL. So I said not to panic and I closed down the room I was in and I ended up in the right room. At which point he's then in a flap because he doesn't have my slides. You know, in I think it was go to meeting, go to webinar that you upload the slides. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't need to upload the slides. Leave it to me. And by this stage, we had like, you know, probably like 30 seconds to go. And he was a bit of, of, a, of a fuss pot, wasn't he? <laughs> let's, let's just put it nicely like that. And I said, will you just stop panicking? Just introduce me and we'll be fine. And I presented locally on my machine. Well, of course I did. Because if I give him the slides and he uploads them, there's no animations, there's no transitions, there's no niceties about it. Half the time it rips the background out. Other times it changes the font. I just want to present these slides and them look like they're supposed to look. So why don't I just share my entire screen and then whatever I do, 
you get to see it. So many times I see people making presentations and it's, I'll just share my browser. Oh, oh, the second tab what hasn't shared. I'll just share that as well. Now I'm going into, I don't know, Word or Excel. Oh, oh, we well, can't see it. Just let me share Excel. And then a dialogue box comes up and the dialogue box isn't shared either. So much time's wasted because you, they won't share their screen and they won't share their screen because they're petrified that something will pop up that they don't want you to see. But I'd rather that than them having to do 27 separate shares every time there's something else that they need to share. So, so yeah, that's a behind the scenes from when you're presenting and it's a nightmare. But I think if they were asking the, the Teams trainer, they could well have thought that what you used, the tools you used, were in Teams. And he just had to tell them how to use them. And then he realised that they weren't. They were from outside of that. But basically, the, the object of our complaint here is, Timothy, that the notch, no, we don't like it. Move it. <laughs> I can't help thinking it would interfere as well. If you take your screen resolution down because you're doing a demo or you're doing a live broadcast, and you've got a fair number of items in the menu of the app you're using and a fair number of icons on the other end of the menu bar. What happens when they hit the notch? Do they just disappear? Because that notch is taking space out of your menu bar, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. He's hoping with a bit of time, it'll go the same way that the touch bar went <clears throat> and hopefully never reappear again. So that just leaves the price. Well, we did the spec it up thing, obviously. We, we do it so you don't have to. But to be honest, you've probably already done it. The 16-inch base model, 32 gig of RAM and a one terabyte SSD, was only £3,299. Obviously, I, I stepped it up a little bit and I thought, if I were buying, let's play the if I were buying game. If I were buying, what I'd go for is the 16-inch, 64 gig of RAM, 2 terabyte SSD. The reason I'd go for 2 terabytes, which is actually double what I've got on my desktop, is given the price, I would be expecting this thing to last for six years. So I may reach a point where I need, and plus the fact, would it be mobile as well? So I priced it up at 64 gig of RAM and a 2 terabyte SSD. That was only £4,099. Mm. And then I thought, do you know what? There's only the one thing left to do, and that's go for top of the range. So I specced up 64 gig of RAM and an 8 terabyte SSD. <clears throat> that was, drumroll please, an eye-watering £5,899. <clears throat> Heck of a price, that. Is it worth it? depends on your situation, I think. I don't need that kind of power right now or expense, to be honest. If I worked mobile and if it was my primary machine, I probably would. But I still wouldn't go for that eight terabyte SSD. I would stick to the two terabyte one at £4,099. Next week, next Wednesday to be precise, will mark 600 days since I left the safe confines of MacBytes headquarters. And the way it's going, it'll be at least another 600 days before I think of leaving again. So bring on the next event with a supercharged desktop for me, Apple, and we'll talk about it then. What about you? You were more mobile than me, but what about now? I was more mobile than you, but um, now I'm not. 
Um, I don't know when <laughs> when I last got my surface out. Well, actually, I do. I got my surface out tonight to check what were the capacity of the uh, the SD card. But apart from that, I don't know when I last got the surface out. So no, I'm not mobile, and I can't see a. Uh, pro video editor sitting in Starbucks trying to edit the next Spielberg movie on a, uh, a six grand laptop. It, it does bring into to play though, doesn't it? If that's how spec'd up the laptops are, then I'm looking forward to the desktops. What I'm not looking forward to with the desktops is the price because a top of the range MacBook Pro back in 2006, I think I paid 1,300. Everything was spec'd up on it. And they stayed a similar price. Oh, that had a 17-inch screen back then as well. I just think the prices have skyrocketed. The other issue was people were specking these up on the night live. And initially, I think the first shipment was like next week. And then it slipped. And literally within 10 minutes, it went to the 10th of December, which is a heck of a lead time. I had left the page open with the spec that I'd selected. And later that night, I refreshed it. And instead of the 10th of December, it had pulled back to sometime in November. I did the same today, just checking it. And it had pulled back again, but it's still a five week lead time on it, which is similar, if not almost identical to the M1 iPad. So, they're pushing these events on and there was always this thing of like the excitement that it would be within days. But looking at it now, you know, it could be anything from like four to six weeks, which is a long time. Now, is it the fact that they don't have the components or are they just on, on a go slow? I don't understand the lead time on it. I really don't. But will there be another event next month for the desktops or are they going to make me wait till next year? Oh, that, that's too close to call, I think. I think there are, there are things I was expecting, like the Mac Mini. They could always do the Mac Mini with a press release. You know, they don't need a, a big event for it. And maybe they would. It, they thought it would either take away from these announcements or actually make people go for, for the Mac Mini rather than one of these. I don't know. So maybe my next one will be a Mac Mini, because at least if it's a Mac Mini, guess what? No notch. Just, just saying. <laughs> that notch is just... Oh, that was the shark jump for me, apart from, apart from the price, obviously. So uh, that's where we're up to. You're not having one of those either, then. You're not in the slightest bit tempted. Not having one of those either. No. no. You've never had much luck with laptops, to be honest. I haven't. No, the uh, the, the, the white one. Was a joke. Sort of di didn't die, but yeah, it was a joke. <laughs> um, the 17-inch... Died. Died, yeah. yes. Um, and the first Windows laptop died as well. It did. And the second Windows laptop, you know, your Acer 17-inch, your mother's got that. Yeah. She's got yeah. custody of that at the moment because hers died during COVID. And she, she moans to me that it's slow. <laughs> she should see one that's really slow. <laughs> it's slow booting up. Well, maybe we'll, we'll have to sort out a laptop for her. But you know what? I, I predict it's not going to be one of these. <laughs> what? She wouldn't know what to do with a Mac and two. If she ever found out the price, she'd murder you. <laughs> She would have a complete fit if you spent anything like that kind of money on a laptop. Oh, for yourself, never mind for her. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So that's the Apple event. Nicely summarised for you. 
This week's Back to Basic Challenge was to use the Reminders app. I've used all sorts of apps over the years for my to-dos, both analogue and digital. I think one of my problems is being disciplined enough to get into a routine where checking my to-dos is second nature. At work, I have meetings and training courses, so the structure of my day is ruled more by my calendar than by my to-do list. I started with Outlook many years ago. I tried OmniFocus, but like many people, couldn't get my head around it. I even built a to-do list in Notion, but gave up on it. Again, the lack of discipline of remembering to check it. Despite telling people not to use their inbox and their calendar as a reminder of things that need doing, I don't eat my own dog food, as the saying goes. My inbox is definitely not at zero, and many of the mails are actionable items that really should be in a to-do app. I finally settled on things. I think that was another Elaine will get you to open your wallet moment, but I'm sure I'm not using it to its full potential. But a challenge is a challenge, and so for this week, I forced myself to use reminders. I didn't transfer my existing to-dos over from things. Well, it was only going to be for a week, so I'll be honest, during the week, I did refer to things, and my calendar, and my inbox. And the back of the proverbial fag packet too, I suspect. Yes, that as well. So, how did I get on? The Reminders app has never had a particularly good reputation. It's been around for 10 years, having been added to the iPhone in 2011 and the Mac in Mountain Lion in 2012. And although there's been little tweaks and improvements over the past 9 or 10 years, there's been nothing to write home about. So given its perceived lack of functionality, I was actually pleasantly surprised. As surprised as I was with the numbers implementation of pivot tables. Anyway, I digress. I added a few tasks, which was simple enough. Enter the details, enter the date due. No point adding a location to remind me. You know, you're at Tesco, you need some Toblerone, that kind of thing, as I'm not leaving the house. One of the features that Reminders has that Things doesn't is that you can attach an image to an item, which you might think has no use. Of course, I could attach a photo of a Toblerone packet, but seriously, if I needed to call the electricity company over a query with a bill, I can take a photo of said bill and attach it to the to-do item. One feature of things that I do use is tags. You can assign one or more tags to a to-do item and then search for all items with the assigned tag. I think I have one tag, Elaine. So anything that I need to see you about gets tagged with that tag. And that way, when we have our catch-up meetings, I can filter out just the items I need for that meeting. So as I'm setting up a few tasks in the Reminders app, I'm thinking, doesn't this have tags? I couldn't find out how to tag a task until I opened the app on the iPhone. Apple have added tagging to the app on iOS 15 and will be adding it to Monty, but it's not available in Biggles, which means for now any tags created on iOS won't even show up on the Mac. So after a week with reminders, where does that leave me? Even for a basic user like me, reminders was a little too basic. I do like the ability to add an image to a reminder, but because I rely on tags, which in reminders relies on the OS, come the end of the week, I decided that I was running back to things. Well, I've never used reminders, or at least I've never used reminders directly. 
The clever part of Apple's implementation of Reminders is the way that it can integrate with other applications. So both Fantastical and BusyCal have optional integrations with Reminders. The integrations mean that you can work with your Reminder items in any supporting application. So in both Fantastical and BusyCal, your to-dos from the lists within Reminders are displayed on the calendar or in a side panel, depending on the app that you use. There's other integrations too. Two that I've seen personally are Guest Timer and Task Paper. Now, Guest Timer is a Mac application that lives in the menu bar. You set reminders by dragging the menu bar icon down your screen. The further you drag the icon, the further in the future the reminders set. Task Paper, on the other hand, is a to-do app that created a standard syntax for to-do items and lists. It's text-based, but you can add to-do items, reminders for those to-dos, you can tag them, but all in this syntax that can be interpreted by other applications because it's text-based. It has a Mac app, it has an iOS app. It also has integrations with reminders. But does it all matter? Does it provide anything of value? Well, given that Reminders has voice integration with Siri, it can act as the glue between your app of choice and the built-in voice control. Apple have taken a long time to get to this point, but with the integration options, they've created a platform where you could use Reminders without actually having to use the app, which is very clever and potentially very useful especially where there's a desktop app with no companion iOS app. So, for example, Guest Timer, no iOS version. But setting a reminder in the Reminders app on iOS will appear in Guest Timer on macOS because of the Reminders integration. Now, Google offer exactly the same type of integration with their task system, and I do use that. I created a list called Mail Actions, and as I process my mail, anything I need to action can be added directly to Google Tasks. The URL of the mail is automatically added to the task, and I can add any other information I need. Each list inside Google Tasks is also a calendar, so you can manage tasks in any application that supports Google Calendars. But... I, like you, use things for more structured task management, and I have no intention of switching away from things anytime soon. So, yes, we're back with our occasional series dedicated to all things Vivaldi, with some features that could well blow your mind. At the very least, you might find yourself surprised at just how feature-rich Vivaldi is. So, I love shortcuts. If there's anything I can do with a shortcut, I'm there. If the app I'm working with doesn't let me assign a shortcut key, yes, Hindenburg, I'm looking at you, then it's time to deploy Keyboard Maestro. Now, Vivaldi doesn't need that kind of sledgehammer to crack a nut thing. Every single command in Vivaldi can have a keyboard shortcut assigned to it. In fact, it's better than that. Every single Vivaldi command can have multiple shortcut keys assigned to it. Now, that might seem like overkill, but it's actually really useful if you switch platforms. It's also handy to use as hooks for control devices like the Elgato Stream Deck. The only issue with keyboard shortcuts is remembering them all. 
I make it my business to internalise those that save me the most time. My biggest issue is running out of available shortcuts, which is where the next unique feature of Vivaldi comes in. But let's set the scene first. If there's one app I can't live without on my devices, it's a launcher app. I've tried them all on macOS from Spotlight through Quicksilver, LaunchBar and finally Alfred. Without a launcher app, I'm rendered at least 80% less efficient in the use of any of my Macs. In fact, when I was updating from version 3 to version 4, I think it was, or 2 to 3, I actually had to close Alfred down. And the very first thing I did was then try and use the Alfred shortcut key. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't exist well without a launcher. And it was thinking about how I use launcher apps that got me dreaming of the ultimate what if. How great would it be if there was a single command inside Vivaldi that gave you access to a similar degree of power and made you infinitely more productive at the same time? Hmm. Dreamland? No. Enter Vivaldi Quick Commands. Quick Commands is a universal access point to a whole range of configurable tools and options inside Vivaldi. All you need to do is master a single shortcut key and Vivaldi displays a search box into which you type what you're looking for or what you're looking to do. So it could be the name of an open tab, it could be a file, it could be a URL, whatever you need. It is nothing short of genius. Now, to get the best from it, you need to know what options you have. So the first thing it can do is navigate open tabs. You can search through all of your open tabs just by using the quick command interface. This is irrespective of which window they're in or where the tab is. You are navigated directly to the required tab. Now, I used to have to use a dedicated extension for that. It was called Saka, S-A-K-A. And it's an extension that works in all browsers that support Chrome extensions. So I still have Saka in all my other Chrome based browsers because they don't have this feature that Vivaldi does. But it's much nicer to have the option to navigate the tabs when it's built in natively. Now, another thing you can do is you can use this quick command option to search through all of your bookmarks and open them directly from the quick commands option. Obviously, there are several other ways to access bookmarks, but via the quick commands feature means you only have to remember that single shortcut key. You don't have to bother working through the menu or opening up extra panels. It's the same shortcut key as navigating the open tabs, only this time it's accessing bookmarks. Now, Vivaldi also has a built in note system. It's not much use on a single install, but fear not. It does synchronise with a free Vivaldi account. I use it mainly for system notes about how I have Vivaldi configured. But there is complete integration between Vivaldi notes and the quick command, meaning that you can add notes directly via the quick command. All you need to do, use that single shortcut key. Mine is actually mapped to the default of command and E. It might make more sense to make it more similar to the Alfred one, but I've left it alone at the default and it works fine for me. All you need to do is bring up that quick command and type in the content of the note. As soon as you've got some text in there, one of the options underneath is create note with text. So all you have to do is use the arrow key to move down to that option and press enter to accept it. 
In addition to doing all of that, and similar to accessing your bookmarks, you have full access via a quick command to your browsing history. So you can search through the entire browsing history in a quick command. And then from there, you can open the pages that you want to have open directly from the quick command. Let's call it a command line, the quick command command line. Now, if you like your browser minimal, like I do, one of the best features of quick commands is the ability to activate extensions from that quick command command line. There's no navigating to the extension with the mouse, no having a plethora of extensions displayed permanently, being very distracting. In fact, you can even access inactive extensions. I use this all the time for capturing to DevonThink and Evernote. I actually only have one single extension displayed. Uh, the, one, the one that gets pride of place is Copy Tab Info. And I only have that displayed because there's a menu that opens when you use it. But that is definitely my most used extension. It warrants prime position, but it's the only one. Quick commands can even do basic calculations and copy the results to the clipboard to use elsewhere. Now, that's the same feature that Alfred offers. Hence, I don't really use it on my Mac. I would use Alfred, but it's fantastic on Windows when I'm constantly trying to use Alfred and Alfred's not there. So if what I want to do is make a quick calculation and I'm inside Vivaldi, it's really simple. Same shortcut key as for everything else. Now, another feature of Vivaldi that I use a lot is screen captures. Vivaldi has a built in screen capture system. You can capture the current page or an area to either a file or to the clipboard. You'd think that was superfluous, given that you've got macOS built in screen capture options. I've also got, oh, I've got a million apps that can do that. Snagit's one that I use a lot. But actually having it in the browser is really very useful. It does scrolling capture of an entire web page. Many of the other options don't. Snagit, which is one of the ones that is supposed to be able to do it, works when it feels like it because of the permissions issue. Even when the permissions say they're set perfectly, I still can't get it to scroll. So this has solved that problem that I'd had for a long time. There are many ways to access this feature. There's a button on the status bar by default. You can move that or add it to the address bar. There are shortcut keys that you could assign. You could assign one to access all of them, or you could assign four separate shortcut keys, one for each specific capture. But I'm mentioning this now because you can access all four screen capture options via the quick commands. So again, just command and E, type capture, and the four options that you've got are front and center. All you need to do is choose the one you want with the arrow keys and press enter. And if it's a scrolling capture, it instantly captures it. If it is an area capture, they've literally this week just added a new feature where you can highlight the area you want. But the new feature is you can actually edit that area before you do the capture. So instead of it not being correct and then have to go through it a second time and try again, you can edit the first selection that you made. It is truly, truly genius. You really do need to download Vivaldi and try all these options. We'll have to discuss with Mike in a future show how he's getting on with Vivaldi. I've got a sneaking suspicion that somebody may be sliding back to Chrome, but we'll see. We'll see in a future show.
Another live Mac Bytes After Hours on Friday. We'll have the usual fun and games together with demos and deep dives, including me unusually taking the reins of a numbers demo. And that'll cover the new pivot table feature inside the app. Then I'm on to Excel and more data model magic. And I know it's part two of Scrivener Compile. So much excitement for that. So do join us at nine o'clock UK time. It just wouldn't be the same without you. And that's it for this episode of Matt Bytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form in the website. And of course, we also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join in the conversation. You can follow Macbytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash Macbytes. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Siri, are you awake yet? For crying out loud, woman, keep it down. What's the matter with you? I'll admit I'm feeling somewhat fragile. The morning after the night before, is it? You could say that. And was it worth it? Yes, it was. Really? Yes, it was my birthday and you're only ten once. I did have a really hideous dream though. How bad could it have been compared to the hangover? Well, I dreamt that Timmy backtracks on everything Apple have launched in the last five years. Then I dreamt Apple launched the latest high-end MacBook Pro priced at £5,800. Then he abandoned the touch bar. All sounds plausible to me. Maybe, but wait until you hear the next one. Most ludicrously, in my dream, said new MacBook Pro had a notch. (laughs) I mean seriously just how much did I drink to come up with that one? I hate to break it to you, but all that actually happened. You're kidding me. A notch? Tell me this is just a nightmare. Sadly, it's not. It's the new normal. I think I need another drink.